you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. We've been looking at the church in Thessalonica, a church that uh, brought the Apostle Paul a lot of joy. And he bore witness to them. And, and we've seen in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13, something that was very crucial, very key what made this church tick, if you want to call it that, right? 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And we've spent several weeks now looking at that distinction between receiving and accepting, right? And, and, and I hope by now you're, you're catching on that here at, at the well at Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, our desire is, is much more than just transmitting information out to you, whether it's in this form on a Sunday morning, whether it's on a Tuesday night in discussion, uh, whether you're listening right now, perhaps online, you know, via our, our website. Our heart here is, is much more than just transmitting messages out and having you take notes and registering that, yes, got it, okay, you know, fill out the sermon notes, whatever you do. That, that our heart here is that you receive it, but just like the Thessalonians, you, you take the time to go, wow, wait a sec, wait a sec. This is more than just a guy up there talking. I accept this. I accept this as, as what it says here, the word of God, right? Because that makes all the difference. And in fact, if, if you read scripture, it makes all the difference eternally, right? Whether or not you actually accept this, not just receive it, but accept it. The, the implications uh, are huge and and I thought of this uh, yesterday. Uh, we had a chance to go to uh, the memorial for John Hasbrook. If you know John Hasbrook and his family, um, John went home to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago. And last uh, yesterday, we went to his memorial uh, at Ventura Baptist. And, and just an incredible testimony to the goodness and the grace of God through John's life and how he lived as a man of faith. And, and, and during the memorial, his kids came up and they shared. And I was so blessed to hear what they shared. Because in what, their 20s, they're all in their 20s, I believe, maybe young 30s. And as they were sharing and processing uh, their father's death, what struck me was, you know what? They haven't just received, you know, what the Bible says about where John is and his faith. It was more than just head knowledge. As they were grieving and as they're moving forward as a family, what came out was their heart that, you know what? They had accepted in their heart. 
biblical truth. And they were processing and grieving at the heart level. At the heart level. And it, 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 it's still very difficult. It's still very challenging. It doesn't make all of it go away. But what it does do is it roots you and grounds you when it goes from your head to your heart. And, and I was so blessed to hear what they were sharing because they go, oh, they get it. Yes, they're working through the pain and they're working through the, even the questions of, of, of why and, and how come. But they were processing it through Scripture because they had accepted. And they were working through a very difficult situation in their life at the heart level. And that's why it matters. That's why, that's why we do what we do here. That's why we're not in a rush. Because we understand when, when you receive something here, you know, again, what we share here, pretty simple. Not really nothing that you couldn't look up on your own, especially with all the resources out there. But when our prayer is that it would go from here to here, and that in the accepting and the welcoming into your life and in, in the transformation that will happen in your life, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids and how you handle your time, your money, your resources, your choices that you're going to make. When it goes from here to here, that matters. And that's weighty. And so that's why we're spending so much time on this is because to receive it, okay, that's, that's one thing. I'm you want to listen to sermons online that's great you want to read books great i'm not saying anything is wrong with that except this if you're doing that to simply accumulate information if you're listening to sermons and you're reading books for accumulation purposes you miss the point right the there there's a phrase God didn't give us his word for information. He gave it for transformation. And so the danger, one of the dangers we have in the culture that we live in because of the Internet and because of all the resources we have, that you can start studying. And nothing wrong with studying. And you can start with the best of intentions. But if you're not careful, your faith becomes academic. And your faith becomes about accumulating more and more and more and more. And i got to do this and i got to do this. And, and part of me wants to say, time out. What are you doing with what you already know? What are you doing with what you already know? Many of us, if you've been in church for any length of time, quite honestly, you don't need to know much more. You just kind of need to be appropriating and applying what you do know. Amen? Right. And so that's the danger. And, and that's the challenge is if we go, if we stay here, which we, we've learned in the weeks past, the, this is a Greek mindset. Right. The Greeks were all about the mind, philosophy and all those uh, Greek philosophers. So they emphasize the mind and this Greek mindset came into the church. And now we're all about the mind. And let me accumulate. And let me think about that. And what's my opinion about that? We're very heady where the Hebrew culture was mind and heart were inseparable. Right? There's a phrase, you have not heard until you are obeyed. That, that was a phrase in, in the Hebrew culture. Hearing and obeying were inseparable in the Hebrew culture. To hear, to listen, and, and obey, same word. Shema. Same word. The Greek separates mind and body. 
And it's that mindset that has kind of seeped into the church where you hear a sermon and instead of right away wanting to go do what you just heard, you're like, hmm, let me think about that one. I never heard that illustration before. Right? And suddenly, rather than being doers of the word, we're critiquers of the word. We're opinion givers of the word. We're evaluators of the word. That's not why it was given. Right? And then this whole, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down, likes, dislikes, all of that mentality that has come in, it has seeped into our walk with Jesus. Our walk with Jesus. Imagine trying to have a relationship with someone. Right? 42 years? I got it right, huh? Married 42 years. Right here. Round of applause, round of applause, right? So imagine their relationship sort of over time becomes one of every time Susan says something, every time, Scott likes, hmm, let me think about that. Every time Susan says something, she gets, she gets a thumbs up or thumbs down. And every time Scott says something, Right? And their relationship, the nature of their relationship, degenerates into just, well, I don't know if I like that. Hmm. Like, dislike. Right? Friend, unfriend. It's all we do in our culture now is we just express our opinion and we move on. Right? Imagine, that's not, that wouldn't even be a real relationship. That would be weird. That would be really weird. There would be some distance. There wouldn't be any intimacy. There wouldn't be any real connection. There wouldn't be any growth and real joy because all you're doing is sitting back going, hmm, hmm, hmm. Right? I mean, like the church has become the church of hmm, right? And and so we sit, and the, even the way we do church is so it's so challenging because I'm on this end, and all of you are over there, right? And so we create this stadium movie theater environment where you're passively receiving something coming through amplifi- amplified speakers. <laughs> right? How many of you at a, at the end of a movie? One of the first things you do is you turn to whoever you're with. So what'd you think? Anyone? Right? Before you get to the car, you've rated it on a scale of 1 to 10. You thought, well, it wasn't as good as the first one. You don't even enjoy the movie. You went right away into the comparison and what'd you think mode. You don't take time to, gosh, that was, you know, I really enjoyed that part. You, nothing. It's like, that wasn't so good, was it? No. You know. and, and that's this weird mentality we get. Like, when, as soon as something's done... So what do you think? And even in the church, as soon as service is done, so what do you think? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you always get, you know, it's like, I was leery of like people who like give ratings of churches on Yelp and all that. I'm like, well, how do you, I don't know, four stars to a church. I really don't know how that works. I don't, I don't really understand that. But that's this culture, and if we're not careful, we move into this, and so we get stuck in receiving. We receive, and then we opine. We receive, and we like and dislike. But we never do anything with what we received. And then we get bored. 
I didn't really get anything out of it. I don't know if you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to do something with it, but I don't know if you're supposed to get something out of it. Huge difference. Huge difference. James, what does James say? Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. So you're supposed to do something with what you hear, not just get something out of it. So if you're coming to church, did you come to church before you got here this morning to just pray, Lord, today, I want to not just receive, but Lord, today, I want you to speak to me through your word. I'm, ex- I'm going to be open to accepting it. And then, Lord, I want you to tell me what to do with this. Was that your prayer today? Lord, I'm open, I'm teachable, I'm accepting what you want to say to me through your word, and I'm going to do something with it. That would radically change your Sunday experience. Radically change it. But if you're like me, going to church, I hope that music is good today. I hope it's not too loud. I wonder what kind of donuts they're going to have afterwards. Right? I hope there's a good sermon. I hope he's, uh, you know, he was funny last week. I hope he's funny this week. Right? And we're coming with this consumer mentality to church. This consumer, receive, and then opine, and evaluate. That's not really his plan for the church. His plan for the church was us to receive and accept. It was inseparable. Receive, accept. And in the accepting, we do. And in the doing, we glorify him and he changes us. Amen? How many of you have found in your walk with Jesus that it's not the real complex biblical doctrine that gets you? It's just doing the real simple things. Like loving one another as Christ loved the church. How many find it a supernatural work of God to forgive somebody? You're not necessarily sitting next to them, so it's okay, right? How many of you have have literally said, I can never forgive someone? Anyone? Right? What does the Bible say? Forgive as you have been forgiven. It's heavy. What does the Bible say about how we're to love? Love one another as Christ loved us. You see, it's not rocket science. But in the flesh, it's impossible. So are you doing that? Are you loving as Christ loved you? Are you forgiving as you have been forgiven? If you, some of you, if you just focus on those two, God would do some radical things in your life. Relationships would be healed. You would be set free. A lot of bondage would be broken if you simply worked on those two things in the power of the Spirit. Amen? See, it's not about accumulating more. It's not. We don't need to know more, 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 more. We need to get it from here to here, receive, accept, and then let it go out into the doing. That's what this church was doing. That's what made the, the, the Thessalonians such a live and vibrant church, right? And so yesterday I saw a family working through a real heavy situation in their life, scripturally, biblically. And last week, if you turn to 2 Corinthians, we saw the Apostle Paul in the same way, working through a 14-year challenge. 14 years. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 
2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says, tells a story. He says, 14 years ago, he was, brought, he was caught up in the heavens. He had this supernatural experience with God. He sees paradise, the third heaven, he calls it, 14 years ago. And then God allows, right? It says he was given. What a great gift, right? He was given a thorn in his flesh, right? Now, that thorn isn't a rose thorn. Biblically, that word thorn is a stake, a wooden stake used to torture and impale people, right? So this stake in his flesh, it says he was to buffet him. To, he's, being, he's getting beat up. So for 14 years, this thorn, quote-unquote thorn, we don't know what it was. Some think it was a false teacher's. Some think it was a physical ailment. Not sure what it was, but it was killing him. Just 14 years of like, really? When is this going to go away? Lord, you know, 14 years this trial is going on. This stake, this thorn in his flesh, right? And, and we're seeing Paul, and, and last week, look what it says in verse 7. To keep me from being con- becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And here's what we saw last week. In Paul's understanding, in his, in his normal humanness, he asked the Lord, he pleaded, that's a strong word, he pleaded with the Lord, Lord, can you please take this away from me? How many times? Three times. And how many times was he wrong? Three. He wasn't wrong to seek the Lord in prayer, but what we saw last week, he was wrong in thinking that the removal of the thorn was really bad. That's where he was wrong. And we saw that sometimes our challenge in going from receiving to accepting is that we have a hard time admitting we're wrong. I mean, how many of us pretty much go throughout the day doing everything we can not to be wrong? Anyone? Right? Does anyone look forward to being wrong? No, right? Right? I shared last week. How many of you woke up today and say, today, I'm going to try to be as wrong as many times as I can. Anyone? Who here has a hard time admitting you're wrong? Okay, there's, there's one honest person. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Ken. How many of you, okay, we should, let's just have some honesty. How many of you have been at home with your spouse or your kids and you know you were wrong, but you would not admit it? Anyone? You deflect it. But you remember when, 10 years ago, you do anything you can because it's kind of such a painful thing as a human to say, I am. Now, listen, say it with some gusto. I am. Right. There's something in us that just cringes. And just, just you, you know, right? And, 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 and that's one of our things. If we're going to be teachable, the word humble, James says receive the Lord, the word humbly, accept the word, says in James 1.21, means humble means to be teachable, childlike, open to correction, humble, 
If we're going to go from receiving to accepting, we're going to have to be humble. And we're probably going to have to, in many ways, accept that we've been wrong about a lot of things. Because last year we spent a whole year on Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's what he's saying in that. And this is why this idea of wrongness can kind of really grate on us. That idea where it says, do not be conformed, it means a mold or a pattern. It means to pattern your life, pattern your behavior, your choices after a certain mold. In this case, the world, right? He says, don't be conformed like that anymore. You're a new creation. You're a follower of Jesus. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? The challenging part is that before you and I came to know Jesus we developed some pretty strong habits. Habits of thinking, habits of speaking, strong opinions, right? We come to know Jesus. We get the Holy Spirit in us. Corinthians says we now have the mind of Christ, which means we're able to understand spiritual truth. So you're supernaturally different. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the mind of Christ. This suddenly makes sense. Amen? How many here before you were a believer wanted nothing to do with this? My hand's up. How many of you before you were a believer just thought this was another textbook? Looked at it that way. Wasn't living and active. Wasn't even relevant. Amen? How many of you, you became a believer, you got the Holy Spirit in you, you got the mind of Christ, and suddenly, this is alive! Anyone? This makes sense! I get this now! You've got to celebrate that that's, that's a testimony to who you are in Christ. Yeah, don't, don't, don't. At one point in your life, you thought this was goofy, irrelevant, untrue, fairy tale, myth, you name it. You put your faith in Jesus, you get indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you get the mind of Christ, and suddenly you're here today and you own one. How many of you at a time in your life, thought the farthest thing would be for you to ever own a Bible. My hand's up. My hand's up. Are you kidding me? Own a Bible? Read a Bible? Memorize a Bible? Are you kidding me? I'm with you. I, I love that because the fact that, that you even want to read this, you got to celebrate. Amen? Don't, don't, please don't minimize that. Please don't minimize that. That is a work of the Lord. Because there's a whole lot of people outside these doors right now that'll think you're cray-cray. They think you're crazy. They think I'm crazy. You still believe you're one of them? You're a Bible believer? That's right. I once wasn't. I used to look at my friend. I had a friend in, in college who was a believer and, and I wasn't. And he would, at, at UCLA, there's this thing called Brew and Walk. And all the different organizations would stand out there and he'd hand out flyers. And I remember my friend. He'd be out there passing out invitations to a Bible study in the afternoon with this Bible. And I would walk by. I'm like, dude, really? I just keep walking. Okay, whatever. Wouldn't want his flyer. Wouldn't want anything. Used to think he was kind of like, <laughs> for carrying one of these on campus, 
I'm like, really, dude? You're sharing your Bible? If he knew what I do for a living. <laughs> he would be, I don't know what he would do. He's like, dude, really? You? Up there on Sundays? Preaching from this? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? It's really crazy. It's really crazy. And so the Apostle Paul, right, he's dealing with this. And, and he has to admit that, you know what, those three times I prayed, I thought I knew what was best. I thought what was best was that God take this thorn away from me. But God knows what's best for you and for me. And the Apostle Paul wanted the natural thorn taken away, this natural issue. And God's like, no, Paul, I have something supernatural my grace. I have something supernatural. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to love me more. You're going to trust me more because I'm going to leave it because I know what's best. How many of you remember that show, Father Knows What's Best? Right? Does he? Careful. Careful. That's when the rubber meets the road. When everything in me wants to go this way and Father's like, come this way. Come this way. That takes humility. It's going to take humility. And it's going to take trust. It's going to take trust. See, part of being willing to receive correction and admitting that you're wrong is that you trust the source who's telling you you're wrong. Amen? Do you, do I have someone in my life that I trust implicitly to tell me when I'm wrong and I'll receive it without getting defensive. Do you? Do you have someone in your life that you actually will say, hey, please, if you see something in my life and I'm veering off and I'm wrong, I give you permission to tell me because I trust you. I believe you love me. I believe when you're going to speak correction and even rebuke into my life that you're doing it in my best interest. Do you have someone like that? Do you trust someone enough to say, hey, buddy, um, can I share something with you in love? And you'll receive it because you trust them, because you believe they have your best interest. They're not trying to ruin their life. They're not being legalistic. They're not anything negative it's all for your good do you have someone in your life like that because that's what the lord wants to see right it says in second timothy all scripture is profitable teaching right and correcting rebuking so we grow up the question for you and me sometimes is lord okay Whew. lord Help me to trust you implicitly, to know that you love me, you desire my best, you're a good God. So Lord, if you tap me on the shoulder, if you bring conviction through your Holy Spirit, I'll receive it. And I might even have to say, Lord, I was wrong. Forgive me. That's a huge part of connecting, receiving through acceptance. It's humility and trust. Humility and 
and trust, right? You've, many of you are familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Great verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You know that word trust? Verse 5. Trust in the Lord. Here's the word picture. To lie helpless face down. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, right? That's the hard part for us in our culture. Because I want to give you my understanding on this. I want to give you my opinion. I want to give you what I think. That's what has seeped in. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Are there areas in your life and my life where you don't acknowledge him? You still second, you know, you set up compartments, and I give you this, Lord, I give you this, Lord, I give you this, Lord, but I'm good here. And I'm right, this is still mine. Because Proverbs 3, 6, 3, 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him, know him. That word acknowledge is know him, experientially, in all your ways. The flip side, look at these other Proverbs. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Proverbs 28, 26 says this. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Right? So if we're going to go from receiving to accepting, it's going to take humility. It's going to take trust. Humility and trust in the Lord. It's going to take a teachable spirit. Okay, Lord, I'm teachable. I want that childlike faith. I want to receive it like a child. And Lord, I trust you. I trust that you're a good God. God is good. And all the time, even when he tells me I'm, no, see? If you believe that, because if you believe that, oh, watch out. Watch out. How many of you have had little kids about to do something that would harm them, and you intervene to help them? Have any of you ever experienced your child being angry at you for trying to help them, help prevent them from electrocuting themselves? Anyone? Right, and you're like, I'm just, you, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm not trying to ruin your fun. That, that's a bad thing to do. That's a wrong thing to do. Don't stick the metal thing in the electric thing. That's wrong. Right? Sometimes I think the Lord looks at us like that. Man, they're just kids. I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to prevent them from hurting themselves. They're going down a path and they don't see what the consequence will be. But I do. And he just wants us to humble ourselves and be trusting to say, oh, okay. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Right? Because in this passage, the Apostle Paul, the thorn wasn't because he had sinned. This consequence of a thorn in the flesh was not a consequence of him having sinned. The thorn was to prevent him from sinning. Verse 7 says, to keep me from being conceited. See, God was bringing something into his life out of love and care to protect him. And sometimes God will bring 
people and circumstances that made me not pleasant at the time. But you know what? It's because he's protecting you and me. Oftentimes from ourselves. Ourselves. And that situation that he allows that drives you to your knees, that causes you to depend on him, is exactly what it was designed to do. To bring you to him. Because I don't know about you, but in my life, when the seas are calm and things are good, I tend not to lead, need God so much. Amen? Anyone? Calm seas, things are good, health, money, job, everything's going good. Suddenly, I just don't pray as much for some reason. Suddenly, I just don't need scripture as much. But when the storms come, right? And so, look what he says here. Let's keep reading. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. There's the message. Message broadcast. Right? He says, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. See, the other challenge in our life, especially in American culture, we don't want to be wrong and we don't want to be weak. Being wrong and being weak. <clears throat> right? There's no way. Those two things together? Oh, man. That's tough. Anyone like to admit you're wrong and weak? No. What is our whole culture built upon? Working out. Doing everything we can to to, you know, hold back father time and the age, right? We don't want to look weak. Got to be strong. Got to be independent. Got to, you know, be successful. All this stuff, which is Greek. All that control and all that, that's the Greek mindset again, seeping in. And so along comes, along comes the Lord and he says, hey, Paul, by the way, um, this, this situation, through your weakness, you're strong. I thought I was raised, I always heard that, no, it's the strong who survive. No, it's the weak who get pushed to the side. It's the weak who don't succeed. It's the weak who never get picked on the athletic team. It's the weak, it's the weak, it's the weak. You've got to be strong. That's the way I was raised. That's the way I was raised. In the neighborhood I grew up in, all the different gangs and everything, nah, the weak... You're weak, you got picked on. The weak get picked on. The weak get bullied. You got to be strong. So to be wrong and to be weak? Ugh. Right? But he loves us. And he says, in your weakness... My power is made perfect. When you come to the end of yourself and you say, Lord, this is so beyond me. Lord, I was wrong. Lord, there's no way I can even think of how to handle this. When you come to the end of yourself, he says, that's when my power is made perfect. That's when I'm manifest. 
just kidding. <laughs> and it's great. Look what it says. My grace is, that's present tense. This isn't a history lesson. This is present tense. You going through something today? Right at this very moment, present tense. That's what he says to you. Here's his promise. My grace, what? Is sufficient. That's all you need. Present tense. Is. His grace. Not your strength. Not your own understanding. His grace. His supernatural enabling grace. Is continuously present tense. I love that. Is. For my power is made perfect in weakness. It's present tense. Continuous. Continuous. I love that. It matters right now at this very second. And you know what? That word is matters an hour for now. That word is matters tonight. That word is matters tomorrow morning when you get up and you got to face that boss. Or that co-worker. <sighs> My grace is present tense continuous. Awesome, right? That's where this relationship is alive and it's dynamic and we're following Jesus. And then he says, look at verse 9, I love this. But he said to me, right? Have you ever said anything to your child in passing that you forgot about saying? Like you promised to go somewhere, and you promised, you said something to them, and then life got busy, and then they come tugging on your shoulder and say, you said we're going to Disneyland. Anyone ever have one of those kid moments where you said something, they remembered it, and they're living present tense, and then they call you out and said, you said, and you're like, when did I say that? <laughs> Honey, did I say we're going to Disneyland? Right? Your child, when you said something, they received it, they took it as gospel truth that it's going to happen. Because they believed you. They trusted you. You get it? All these weeks later, they come to you and like, but you said, Dad! They're calling you out on what you said because it matters and it's still truth to them. That's what he means right here in verse 9. When he says right here, but he said. See, when I face trials and when you face trials when you leave here, I love that phrase. Use it. Next time you're brought to your, your wrong and you're in your weakness and you need God's grace, say this. You said. Your grace is sufficient. You get to call him on his promise. Isn't that awesome? Right? If you believe it, right? You get to say to the Lord, but you said your grace is sufficient. You said your power is made perfect in my weakness. Call him out on it. That's called trusting. It's a promise. Amen? He said, but you said, Father, You said your grace is sufficient at this work situation. You said your grace is sufficient in this financial issue. You said your grace is is sufficient in this health issue. You said, oh my gosh. But to get there, you've got to go from receiving to accepting. He said means you accept it. You're living it. It matters to you, right? And when you get there, 
suddenly you see things different. Look what happens. Verse, second half of verse 9. Therefore, okay, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. What? I delight in insults. What? I delight in the hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the Apostle Paul. This religious Pharisee had all the accomplishments of the world, top of the right, never weak, never strong, did it all just right. And suddenly, he's like, I delight in my weaknesses. I delight in hardship. I delight in persecution. I delight in weaknesses. Now, it's not a weird delight. What he means, he says, you know what? When I go through stuff, difficulties, hardships, persecutions, when I go through that and I am brought to the end of myself, I am so grateful for what it's produced in me through this. That's what he's saying. He's not liking the tough times. He's not liking the circumstance. He doesn't like the thorn. What he's saying is, you know what? I've learned because now I see what God's doing in me. I see his bigger purpose. And instead of being angry, instead of arguing, why are you doing this? How come you just don't take it away? You're God. Why'd you let that happen? Instead of living this angry, argumentative thing with God, having this, you know, this real belligerent relationship with God, he's like, oh, God, my bad. You knew what you were doing all along, huh? Oh, yeah. See, some of us, To go from receiving to acceptance, we have to humble ourselves. We have to trust God, and we have to believe he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. I shared with you in the last couple of weeks over the summer my journey with fears and anxieties and all this kind of stuff. There's three, three, and I'll just share this with you, that that have helped me, and it's not... We're not going to just share with you three biblical truths that I have learned that helped me when I'm confronted and brought to the end of myself in whatever situation. Number one, God is in control. Number two, God knows what he's doing. Number three, God loves me. Those three biblical truths come up into my head countless times every day. When I am challenged. Okay, yeah, you're in control. You're in control. You know what you're doing. God is wise. He knows what he's doing. And you love him. Those three foundational biblical truths help me walk in his grace. When I am challenged. Because generally when I start to redline in fear and anxiety and anger and and whatever I'm reacting in, it's usually because one of those those three things need to be addressed. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're in control. You're sovereign. Nothing happens on this planet without your ultimate sovereignty. 
oh yeah, you know what you're doing. You're able to run the universe far greater than me. And you love me. I'm your child. Jesus, I am your kid. See, those three, in 25 years of walking with the Lord, those three principles is what has come down to me walking with kids. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. And he loves me. That helps me. When I get to that moment, I'm like, but you said your grace is sufficient. It is. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. And I love you, Ricky. There was a time in my life when, when I've shared with you, when, when fear would just dominate every day, almost every hour of every day. And I was like, Lord, help me to get, help me just to address fear in, in, the, in the here and the now, right? And it was kind of cool because my name begins with R, right? So I, I, I came up with this thing, fear, forgetting everything already, Richie. Right? So whenever I would get caught up, it, it was a challenge to me, biblically. Are you forgetting everything already, Richie? Now, bum, if your name doesn't end in R, because I don't know, what do you know? Beast, <laughs> you know? But fear, forgetting everything already, Richie? Are you forgetting everything? Oh, yeah, that's right. You're in control. You know what you're doing. And you love me. And it helps. Even, it'll help me before I go to sleep today. It'll help me, I know, more than once before I go to sleep today to remind myself he's in control. He knows what he's doing, and he loves me. And when fear comes up, the anxiety comes up, I get to think clear. I'm not just reacting every day to what I'm afraid of, but I go, Lord, you know what I'm afraid of. Your grace is sufficient. What should I do? pray, Lord, thank you that your grace is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient, Lord. And your power is made perfect in our weakness. And Lord, sometimes we go through things in our life and in the flesh and in the moment, we just don't get it. And everything in us wants it to go away. And everything in us maybe questions why you would allow such a thing to go on and on and on. And in those moments, we have to humble ourselves and trust. And in those moments, I am reminded that you're in control. You know what you're doing. And you love me. (sighs) Father, the Apostle Paul had this incredible learning experience where he learned to trust you in his weakness. And he actually saw his weakness, as he says, as a delight because you were glorified through it, because he learned what it is to truly trust you, to truly trust you, and to appropriate your grace. And maybe there's someone here this morning, and they feel like they've had a thorn in their flesh for a long time. And maybe they've been asking the Lord and wondering what's going on and even asking for it to be taken away and it hasn't. And maybe this morning they're here because you want 
to give them that promise that your grace is sufficient for them continuously, even now. Even now. Lord, we confess those areas where we're wrong. We confess our struggle to admit being wrong. We confess our struggle to admit weakness. Thank you that through the Apostle Paul's example, you show us that that's who we are in you. Humble, trusting disciples. And as we prepare for communion, Lord, this morning we're reminded that Jesus himself humbled himself and took the form of a servant. That Jesus himself yielded to your will even in the flesh, struggling. And he said, Father, if there's any way, and then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus trusted you. He trusted you all the way to the cross. And so this morning, we take communion in remembrance of Jesus. And Lord, as we come forward and and take cups, we're reminded that we're part of the church. And really, the church is made up of people who are humble, people who are teachable, people who trust you. People who trust you, Jesus, for salvation. People who trust you, Lord, for our everyday needs. And so this morning, once again, we'll open up the communion tables and and as we come forward and, and take communion, there's bread and you can go back to your seats and just have a time of prayer and reflection and on the word and what the Lord is speaking to your heart. If you're not a believer, I encourage you, put your faith in Jesus. Begin there. The first step of humility and trust begins with, Jesus, I need you. I trust you as my Savior. I know there's no way I could earn my way to heaven. The Bible says I'm saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. So Jesus, in the best way I know how, I'm humbling myself. I'm trusting you and I'm accepting the gift of salvation. I yield to you, Jesus. I just want to follow you. I just want to follow you and have this relationship that you have with us.